Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and I have Autumn Brennan, our teen expert with us today. Welcome, Autumn. Hello, Megan. Happy to join you. Yes, excellent. So today we're going to cover managing the holiday season with your teenager. If you are parenting a highly sensitive teen who is isolating, refusing, shutting down, and you are worried that that is just going to escalate now that they have zero responsibilities during the holiday break make sure that you stick around to today's show. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Okay, here at MTC, we help parents of highly sensitive kids and teens eliminate the daily meltdown shutdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. So for teenagers, we support teens and their parents together in breaking out of this pattern so that teens can start to take responsibility for their actions, for their well-being, for their wellness, and learn how to follow through on parents' expectations. Now, for parents, we help you find effective limit setting, re- uh, eliminate the, the lecturing. I almost said reduce. <laughs> Autumn, <be> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> eliminate the lecturing. We're not reducing. <laughs> Yes. Uh, And, and support your teen in, in speaking with them with the same language as we can all uh, observe in parenting a teenager, it can feel like you are talking to an alien sometimes and that teenager is still the young child that you raised as, uh, you know, for the earlier years and they are speaking a different language. So we support you in understanding how to do that, how to meet your teen on the same page without coddling enabling or forcing their uh, change in behavior. So they start to observe their own internal motivation to feel better. We know here at MTC that nobody was put on this earth to be miserable. And that includes your teenager who seems to to present like misery loves company. (laughs) So let's talk about the holiday season. Uh, You know, here we are in December and observing that, uh, break is coming in, in lickety split. And so, so Autumn, let's talk about the challenges that parents might be experiencing as their teenager who is isolating and shutting down, uh, rolls into having less responsibilities, you know, no, no need to get up at, at a certain time, et cetera. Yeah. Less responsibilities, more panic, right. Is, is really what that translates to. Mm. Um, because on the one hand, I, I appreciate a lot what you're saying that like, okay, so they don't have the routine, right? So we might be stopping fighting about you getting up at 5.45 in the morning or 6 a.m., right? However early your teen gets up these days, which some days it's that, right? And for some people, um, depending on your school system. Um, and instead, you know, your, your teen might notice that, oh, I'm going to be able to relax. I'm not going to have to be as stressed out about having to go to school about those expectations. And so in their mind, they may have a very different plan for what this break is going to look like. So it might be to them, 
we're sleeping until I wake up. Um, for you, it might be you're sleeping until a reason reasonable hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we clean the house so Auntie Susie can come over. Exactly, <laughs> right? And then you're helping with the things that everybody does in order to make this holiday something that everybody can enjoy. And mm-hmm. right, your your um, highly sensitive teen that might be isolating, they might really be dreading this time everybody else enjoying it, right? We're going to have family coming over. We're going to be eating a lot of food. We're going to be, have lots of different smells and movement in the house. And, and your typical obligations are going to be down. All of that very quickly can turn into, I have to be social. I don't know how to be social. Grandma so-and-so makes a lot of judgments and criticisms, (laughs) right? And where somebody else might be able to notice Hmm. grandma's getting a little bit more vocal. Your highly sensitive teen might really personalize. Oh no, grandma hates me. Right. And not know how to manage that or how to deal with that as their emotions are starting to rise. And now they have to sit next to each other at a table or make stuffing together, right? Like pluck away at those breadcrumbs. Mm. Um, and, and so you're noticing next level, right? Sensory issues, all these different smells, all these different voices, um, you know, different temperatures within the house because people are moving in and out. Just again, lots of movement all of this away from certainty, all Mm -hmm. of this away from what makes people feel safe, what makes people feel um, less anxious, more comfortable, right? Which is a daily routine, even if that routine is hard on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And then we have the next challenge, and I kind of touched on it already, um, that just that being able to socialize with the other people in your household in a meaningful way or in a way that they're going to be expecting. So maybe it's not, you know, the the meaningful component that we really need to focus on. Got a little, got a little false sniffle going on myself. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's not, um, you know, the the um, issue of, of just coming out of the room because of all of these other areas of certainty of uncertainty that I'm talking about, but really the if I go out there, what am I going to be expected to do? Am I going to be able to meet that expectation? So uncertainty around the relationships that they have and and whether or not they're going to be able to fulfill their um, side of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to to engage in that transaction be able to talk, that's going to lead them further down the shame spiral, right? The self-criticism spiral, that's going to keep them in that bed, right? Keep Mm -hmm. them isolating. You're going to go in and go, come out of your room. Everybody's yeah. here. What are you doing? <laughs> right. right. And for any, you know, average parent, right? That's a completely reasonable question to ask. There's that reasonable word again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's, it is something that, of course, you want your family to be able to be together, Right? To, to be able to celebrate a holiday. That's, that's what holidays are. Um, and so it might not occur that there might need to be a different conversation. We might need to have different um, supports that we put in place in order for your team to really participate in the holidays and to feel more comfortable. Right, mm-hmm. um, Because a lot of what I'm talking about is just the idea that while on the one hand, it seems like being off school, being away from expectation, we can increase comfort. When the reality of that situation is being away from that routine decre- really decreases certainty. And then we throw in a lot of curveballs that maybe your teen isn't expecting, which decreases mm-hmm. it even further and, and creates lots of room for agitation, um, for conflict. Yeah. 
Yeah, conflict is always a combination of unmet expectations and emotional dysregulation. And so when we look at that shift, right, your teen is, it has all these expectations that Autumn just spoke about, in addition to the fact that they want a break, right? Highly sensitive kids are taking in so much information from the world and school is overwhelming for a lot of highly sensitive kids, especially teenagers who don't have any regulation tools, right? They don't know how to dissipate that intensity throughout the day. And so the, the end, of, uh, end of day crash happens, right? And now we have an end of semester crash and that might lead to your teen wanting to nap and hibernate for the two weeks that they get off, right? And that expectation can't be met uh, by the family based on, as Autumn mentioned, reasonable expectations for the family to, to get together, to spend time together, et cetera. And so this creates such a big level of tension in so many homes. We hear our clients speak about this and, and uh, work on preparing for the break. And, and it's really important to understand for you, um, you know, we know what needs to be handled, but also, you know, Autumn, let's speak to how parents are typically assuming what's going on for their teen when, when this uh, conflict is happening. What, what do parents assume and, and what are they trying to do to, to, to turn it around? Right. So, um, and, and you really hit it on the crux of why this becomes so problematic and why the heads end up butting and, and why things escalate really. Um, you know, the, the typical assumption, um, and this, you know, maybe it's from a parent, maybe it's from an aunt and uncle, maybe it's from a grandparent. The typical assumption is you just don't want to, and therefore you're not, you're not being compliant, you care. Mm -hmm. right? You don't care. Um, and, and that assumption coming into it very, very easily fuels the, the emotional spiral, right? Within a parent or within, you know, maybe even other family members of, I can't believe this kid. I can't believe this kid doesn't even like care about me enough to come downstairs and to have mm -hmm. a conversation with me. Well, there goes their Christmas present exactly. or their <laughs> You right. gotta be flipping ketamine. You know how right. I started shopping for you. Right. <laughs> or I right. gotta start shopping for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm. Right. And then it kind of just escalates itself. Um, because mm. the assumption really is not that they need more support, they don't know how, and that is producing a sense of irritability. Mm -hmm. The assumption is they don't care, they're just being grumpy. They'd just rather be on that device of theirs, talking to their friends. They're making their friends. They're making TikTok more meaningful than their family and their relationships. This is a bad kid. What's wrong with them? Right. And so when we approach it from that perspective, of course, that's not really helpful for them, you know, because I'm sitting in the background, I'm going, wait, they need a life preserver. They need a life preserver. Yeah. And you're, and in this scenario, it's very, um, let's just, Let's just keep the rowboat just just a little bit more in front of them, and that'll make them swim faster to catch up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and and what we know is that that just leads to more frustration for everyone, more mm -hmm. resentment for everyone, right? And when we have emotions like frustration, resentment that just live there in a relationship, that relationship is never going to be able to get to the point where people feel safe or what we would refer to as a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And the biggest challenge that we see many parents have is in noticing all, all of this dynamic and start to fall into a, a quid pro quo relationship, 
right? Especially if you as a parent were raised with external motivation. If you do this, then I give you love. If you do this, then I give you, you know, an allowance. If you do this, then I give you more affection or, or, or observe that you're a motivated child, et cetera. Those are really, really hard uh, patterns to break and can be justified by many parents. Well, the real world pays us money for doing a job. And it's also true that a fulfilling job is going to be much more uh, able to support any person in their life to, um, to follow through and be consistent. And fulfillment is something that you experience inside you. And so when we think about the difference between external and intrinsic motivation, all of the responsibilities and the expectations and the communication skills that your team needs to be able to prioritize and, and develop, it's crunch time, right? They only got a couple of years till they hit 18. And so this could be really highlighted when it when when responsibilities shift and uh, the holiday season is a great example of that because you're expecting your team to remember how to generalize a skill. And so Autumn, let's talk about where highly sensitive teens, she's rubbing her hands, she's like, let me at them. <laughs> where highly sensitive teens fall short in generalizing skills. Um, this I assumption love, is so ineffective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love this question because um, that's the crux of it, right? I get like... <laughs> I do. I rub my hands together. I get all like giddy about it because this is where we make our money, parents. This is where we change the relationship when we start to really recognize, understand um, a highly sensitive child's ability to generalize versus or compare to a child that might not be highly sensitive right? Mm -hmm. um, a child that is not highly sensitive, it's going to be easier for them to generalize one skill to another, right? They'll be able to, um, you know, be in one setting and interacting with an adult or with a peer, and then they'll be able to generalize that information to another conversation at a different time. For mm -hmm. highly sensitive kids, that's a little bit more difficult. They've got a lot more emotion to cope with. Um, any kind of social interaction is a higher level skill, right? It's a, it's a, um, it takes a lot of little skills in order to be able to, to maintain a relationship or to engage in a transaction with another person. Um, and emotions every step of the way are going to get in the way if, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're experiencing them more intensely, right? So what that means is that you can't just, just notice that your teen is able to interact with their peers and then make that mean that, that, that they can also come to Thanksgiving dinner or they can also participate in a holiday celebration in the exact same way, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the exact same to them, mm -hmm. right? And so where we kind of fall short or where a lot of different um, therapies fall short is that they make that assumption that just mm -hmm. because I learned to yep. do it in this one context, that means that I'm gonna be able to learn to do it in every context. Yeah. And that's just not the reality. And, and the emotions that are in each of these contexts are going to be different, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that means that they're really not as similar as people might think that they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredibly important. You just brought up a trigger point. Misinformed um, therapists will often use what's called in, in, in mental health world, a strengths-based perspective. If you can do it here, all we're going to do is take that skill and plug it into here. You know how to do it. Let's go ahead and do it. And what happens? What's the emotional um, outcome from that? Shame. Right. Shame. 
And so when we think about the incredible uh, difference between somebody who's a provider or a coach, you know, in our, in our respect, who understands the, the difference between a highly sensitive trait and all those little details that Autumn was just talking about, and a professional who is taking the generalist approach. This is what works with most teens. So I'm just going to put your teen in that category, work with them for six, 12 months, and then maybe I'll come to the conclusion that my general success rate is actually not applicable, right? And then start to dive into, oh, well, maybe this kid just doesn't want to feel better. Wait a minute, what happened to our original assumption that nobody was put on this earth to be miserable, including your team, right? So that goes out the window. They're not motivated. They're not following through. They, they just don't want to change, right? Bollocks, you know, and <laughs> baloney. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that's so, really what it boils down to is that that, that, that whole thought process, baloney. <laughs> 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 and so in that experience, what happens for the teenager, right? That, that shame response, we want to speak about some of the statistics that we're noticing over the last decade plus for mm -hmm. highly sensitive teens, for teens in general. Uh, many parents will start to think, well, you know, we know more about mental health. So teens are, are uh, more equipped at this point to learn. Schools are starting to teach emotion regulation skills. Schools are starting starting to understand a little bit about how emotions impact availability for learning. I'm having conversations right. about feelings in my household. And yet the statistics are speaking another story. So let's uh, relate this experience to uh, typical teens and, and how they're taking in this information, this invalidation, and how that is playing out in, um, in real life stats, Autumn. Yeah, so um, you know, part of part of what we do here at MTC is make sure that we stay abreast onto all of the the current information that we can, right? Um, mm -hmm. Really making sure that when we're working with families, we're doing it from an informed perspective. Mm -hmm. um, we don't come in and just kind of anecdotally notice, oh, we think that this is a good idea. No, we really we really strive to make sure that we're using all of the um, information that we have, not just from our personal experience, but also from um, current. Um, research um, census data, including suicide rates. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so what we know, right, part of what it was our is informing our practice and, and helping us to really feel motivated to get this message out there and to get as many parents and families in um, to see us and to work with us as possible. Um, right now, we know that since 2020, there has been a 28% increase in um, suicidality or suicide rates for males 10 through 19 years old. Mm. more crazy there has been a 114 percent increase in suicide completion for teenage girls ages 10 through 19 since 2020 that Huge. is an astronomical number right and at, at the end of the day um really what that information is telling us is that what's happening in schools is not enough Mm -hmm. Right. What is happening um, in, you know, uh, parents sharing information that they have learned over time and, and probably because they didn't get it from their own household. Right. You know, I yeah. think Megan, you and I very much can, can speak to this. We had great parents. And it's also true that they weren't taught to teach us the, the pieces of emotion regulation that we really need. Um right. Right. And I, I think that's true for um, people that are parenting, right, as part of our generation, as we just don't know the skills to teach our kids. Um, right. You know, you have to go out and you've got to get that information. 
um, in order to um, make sure that especially your highly sensitive child who, who needs parenting that is even more specialized when it comes to emotional regulation skills, um, that you've really got to seek out as a parent, how to get those skills, right? Mm -hmm. And then to put your teen into a place where they're able to work with someone that understands their unique needs mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they can experience shame, they can experience criticism in a relationship, but they don't then become part of this 114% increase in su suicide statistics, right? We, yeah. we want teens that are able to tolerate emotion, that are able to feel competent, that they're able to feel capable of interacting with someone, even if that interaction doesn't go the way that it ha they had planned, mm -hmm. right? I think this is incredibly important because when we look at this new research just published by the CDC, the important components, a parent might wonder and, and fall into the, the perpetual uniqueness of uh, this, which is a symptom of this shutdown meltdown cycle. You know, it's not my kid or uh, my circumstance is different, right? We have to look at the stats and understanding that one out of every five people in the world is, is highly sensitive. That means that 20% of the population is highly sensitive. That means that you or a family member is likely highly sensitive. And uh, it might be that several of you are highly sensitive in the family. And, and this is critical information to understand. This is not new information. This information, you know, the stats have been studied since the 1990s, particularly with the name of the highly sensitive personality trait. And it's also true that in mental health, in studying chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm, and other risky behaviors, the highly sensitive trait was studied. It just wasn't named. Elaine Aaron named it in the 1990s, but in the 1960s is when Marsha Linehan started her research plans and, and understanding more about the personality of sensitive people who then develop into these chronic suicidal and, and, and self-harmful behaviors and risky, risky behaviors who were much less likely to be successful in the modern or typical mental health patterns. And that's where she developed her treatment model called DBT. And so that treatment model has been around for years, years and years and years and years. And so this is not new information that we're plugging in from the pandemic, okay? And this is crit critically important. When we look at the rise from 2001 all the way through 2020, self-harm rates for, uh, for teens have considerably increased as well. And so I want to just make sure I'm on the right page for the stats here. 181% for suicide rates. I meant to say for self-harm. Sorry. This no, is for self-harm. You got is, that. Okay. These are, yeah. These are self-harm mm -hmm. rates. Um, we've mm -hmm. seen a, a jump from 2001 to 2020, um, 181% um, in um, self-harm rates for children because they're, they're still children, right? Mm -hmm. Ages 10 through 19. Huge. We know now that the third leading cause of death for teenagers, 10 through 19, is suicide. Mm -hmm. The third leading cause of death. That means there's seven others in your top 10 mm -hmm. that are below this. COVID-19 yeah. being one of them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there's a pretty significant jump, right? When we look at fourth leading cause and, and third leading cause, that suicide number. Yeah. Um, number one is accidental, mm -hmm. um, you know, teenagers being impulsive um, and 
there is room to suggest that those may also have a lot to do with emotion regulation, mm -hmm. right? Um, and if you're thinking substance use, right, mm -hmm. numbers would fall into that category as well. Um, you know, overdose, again, issues associated with, with dysregulation. Um, we, we certainly, you know, don't, we, we hope that the, that, um, you know, teens are going to be able to jump into a program such as ours, where they're able to learn emotion regulation skills that keep them from engaging in substance use, and that they certainly don't go down that abuse hole. And mm -hmm. it does come down to, are they learning the skills that they need, not mm -hmm. just for the holiday dinner, or, yeah. you know, engaging in a, in a holiday situation, but to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just a hope, right, Autumn? I mean, <laughs> you got to give yourself credit. Uh, our One of our latest uh, male clients, we can call him Joe, uh, stopped using in in um, in a in a um, stop using one of the substances that he was using. Alcohol and weed were his his two of choice. Within eight weeks, was able to demonstrate that he didn't need to self-medicate. He had clarity on where his challenges were, and he was willing to uh, significantly reduce the use to the point where now it started to feel um, and, and be observed by not only us, but also parents and him, mm -hmm. that this was much more in line with the typical teen experimentation. Now, obviously, we, we want teens to not use it all, right? That would be the best um, ideal situation. And it's also true that if you have somebody who's going from daily, multiple times a day use, all the way down to, you know, weekends, occasional, etc., massive shifts there, right? Why? Because self-medication isn't necessary anymore. And so it's important for us to, to pay attention to that in, in noticing that when we think about how teens are escaping emotions by using substances, by going into their screens, by hiding in sleep, by, by um, you know, avoiding situations, by yelling and screaming, which you've heard me say before is an avoidance tactic, right? You're not actually feeling your feelings when you project them onto somebody else. You've already, you're already at the explosion component, then it's critically important for you as a parent, especially of a parent, as a parent of teenager, that you understand your teen has a much bigger skill gap than you think they do. And that in and of itself is going to shift to the first component that we speak about in, in breaking out of the cycle, which is changing your understanding of your expectations, changing the assumptions that you have and starting to speak the same language by making that not only playful, which as a teenager, there's definitely a delicate dance on that. Right. Can't be too sarcastic, can't be too jokey jokey, right? Then they start to uh, feel like you're mocking them or that you're not taking it seriously, right? And um, and then also supporting them and being able to hold them account accountable too, right? You can't swing all the way to the under end of the side of, of oh my gosh, you're so fragile that um, that I just can't support you anymore. And, you know, you're going to, you're, you're, you know, I, I need to do all of these for you that, you know, the show must go on if you will. And, um, that mentality doesn't serve anybody. And so what, what parents need to do, you know, when we think about, we, we need to keep the routine similar, right? Um, we need to be able to support teens in, in understanding what their expectations are communicating about ex shared expectations having that conversation around what do you hope to get out of this uh, holiday season? And then where, what do I hope to get out of this? And how do we collaborate, right? How do we meet each other's needs in that respect? Um, not that your teen is going to meet your emotional needs, <laughs> right? Uh, but that yeah. they are going to fulfill <laughs> the expectations. 
of uh, being a family member in the home, you know, continuing up, keeping up their laundry, keeping their room um, free of, of dishes, especially moldy ones, um, observing the, the necessity of, you know, participating in family gatherings and being on time, et cetera. All of the expectations you had while they were in the school season can be continued and you can honor their need for rest and you can support them in um, and being able to to take some chill time and 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 um, and to you know catch up on sleep, et cetera, right? And that that um, that is the important piece that we need to observe that this is not um, an either or situation, my way or the highway. You know, when you're 18, you get to do it your way. When you move out of my house, you can make your own rules. No, why? What happens then? Teens end up making their own rules. It's your job as a parent to teach your teen how to structure themselves. We don't want this, you know, my way or the highway right now, because by the time they they leave, they either fall flat on their face, which isn't helpful when they need to keep a job and they don't show up, right? Or they end up um, struggling so much that they never leave your house and we have failure to launch situations. So if you're observing all of these steps and you're noticing, you know, Megan and Autumn, I don't really know where to start. This, you know, this is going to help me, you know, perhaps have some good conversations with my team, but I really want to rip this out at the root. Then we encourage you to book a call with our team. We will have a conversation with you and your team together, and we'll break out of this pattern in, in step-by-step, in a step-by-step way. We'll show you exactly how that's going to be able to, to be accomplished. Make sure that you guys are both on board and you can start that very same day with us. Uh, if it's not a fit or we see that there's some other clear glaring issue in the way of working with us, then we will share with you exactly what you need to prioritize on that same call. So no matter what, you take action on that same call, whether that's to work with us or to, to you know, to go a, a more effective route. So happy to have that conversation with you. Again, it is free. Uh, we look forward to speaking with you soon and have a wonderful holiday season. Yes. Bye. Can't wait to see everybody. Happy holidays. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.